Blog Talk Radio. Good morning. This is the Lois J. Wetzel Show, and I'm your host and executive producer, Lois Wetzel, coming to you live this morning from 9 a.m. Houston, Texas, Central Time. I want to remind you to register for Blog Talk Radio. It's free, and if you do that, you can rate my show, mark it as a favorite, and let people know that you were here and listening to my show. You can get reminders of upcoming shows. It's all free. My call-in number is 347-945-5309. You can call using the telephone or Skype. You can listen on your phone or your computer. If you're calling in and you want to ask a question, just hit the number 1 and I'll know that you would like to ask a question. I also want to remind you that I offer a free email newsletter about metaphysics spirituality, the coming changes, all the kinds of things we talk about here on this show. I've been sending this newsletter out for about 12 years, and to sign up for that, you would go to my website, hotpinklotus.com. I do not share email addresses with anyone because your privacy is important. Well, good morning. It's Friday, the 18th of November, 2011, at 9.30 in the morning. And this is Lois Wetzel talking to you this morning about the importance of thoughts. I know you've heard before, unless you're a baby newcomer to the whole metaphysical, spiritual world, that thoughts become things. Thoughts are a vibrational frequency that we put out into the universe. And we've been largely unaware of this. When I first heard, maybe 30 years ago, that it was important to monitor your thoughts, I thought, well, my goodness, that's totally impossible. They're just random and jump out all by themselves and spring into existence. And I've realized over the subsequent 30 years that, indeed, it really is important. And with practice, people can learn to monitor their thoughts. One of the things you can do is when you realize you've thought something that you don't want to see come into manifestation, you just say, oh, no, 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 never mind. Cancel, cancel, cancel. And mentally draw one of those circles with a diagonal line across it over that thought and let it go. It's important to focus on what you want rather than what you don't want. So if you are part of a meditation for peace, you would not focus on stopping war because in so doing, your mental state is focused upon war. Instead, you would focus upon peace. What does that look like? What does that feel like? If our thoughts become things, then are we co-creating the universe? I mean, are we, each and every one of us, affecting outcomes with our thoughts? The answer is yes. There have been plenty of studies. James Twyman was one of the people who spearheaded this years ago, 15 
or more years ago, where groups of people with focused thoughts at the same time meditating or thinking or praying, whatever you want to call it, about the same thing affect crime rates in specific cities. Um, they, they affect the intensity of war that's going on in a specific place, and this has been confirmed repeatedly by government officials saying, yes, indeed, you know, these Incidences of violence went down during the period of time that these people were praying or meditating together. Thoughts are an energy form, pure and simple. I wrote an article about mm, 10 years ago entitled uh, Proof We Are Co-Creating the Universe? Question mark, And it was pub- published in a local magazine, metaphysical magazine called um, Indigo Sun, which is online if you're curious to go back and look at that uh, magazine. It's really quite good. But I'm going to read the article to you because it has to do with um, a colleague of Albert Einstein's and Neil Bohr's named John Wheeler. And here's the article. Because I gradually changed from agnostic to spiritual healer due to having read a book initially, the thing that started it all, Due to having read a book on quantum physics and mechanics in 1979, I'm hugely excited about what I'm about to tell you. This week, a friend in Florida forwarded to me an article on the eminent physicist John Wheeler. The original article is in Discover Magazine in June of 2002. John Wheeler, a colleague of Albert Einstein and Niels Bohr, is the man who coined the term black hole to describe the dense objects which trap light that we now believe are common across the universe. He turned 90 the prior July to to the article. This man is one of the giants of 20th century physics. He has spent a lifetime making fundamental contributions in areas from cosmology to atomic physics. The rest of his time on the planet will be spent working on one idea. Why does the universe exist? Wheeler believes that in order to answer that, we must attend to a strange aspect of modern physics. At the very most fundamental levels, our observations influence our universe. The boundaries between personal, subjective consciousness and the objective world blurs in quantum physics. What the experimenters see depends upon how they set up their experiments. A scientist's observations determine if an atom of light behaves like an undulating wave or a solid particle or what route it traverses moving from one spot to the next. John Wheeler believes that our observations may actually contribute to the creation of reality. He believes that we are not just observers on a cosmic stage, but creators within a participating universe. The universe may be built like a huge feedback loop. We're contributing to the ongoing creation of not just how now and in the future, but the past too. 
Let me repeat that. We are contributing to the ongoing creation of not just the now and the future, but the past, too. He is not just speculating. Experiments have been conducted using light and film to record the behavior of the light. Changes in the behavior of light have been observed not only in the lab, but changes have been observed... Excuse me, lost my place as I moved this thing up. Changes have been observed in the behavior of light coming from billions of years ago in outer space. Changes in the behavior of light have been observed not only in the lab, but changes have been observed in the behavior of light coming from billions of years ago in outer space. If the scientists decide to measure the light, it behaves like a particle. If not, it behaves like a wave. Bear in mind, this is light that was originated long, long ago, billions of years ago, and the current observation of the scientists changes how it behaves. The difference shows in the pattern that the light makes on the photographic film that's being used to record the experiments. This includes light that left its distant source before the Earth had living organisms on it billions of years ago. So these scientists are changing the behavior of light originating in the past by deciding to measure it in the now. They have even set up in the lab an experiment that proves that the behavior of light changes from wave to particle en route at the point where the physicists made their measurements, even though the light had already left its source. What this may mean is that particles exist in many possible states at one time, traveling in every possible direction, not quite real and solid, until it interacts with something, say, for example, a piece of mica in the Earth's crust. When that happens, one of those many different probable outcomes becomes real. At every moment, the universe is filled with huge clouds of uncertainty that have not yet interacted with anything at all, much less a conscious being. This also means that the universe is a vast area filled with realms in which the past is not yet fixed. Let me repeat that. This also means that the universe is a vast area filled with realms in which the past is as not yet fixed. This is a clue, according to Wheeler, that the secret to the mystery of creation might not be in the distant past, but in the now. It is this viewpoint that gives him the hope that this question of why the universe exists can be answered. If I ever had any doubt that we're co-creators with the universe, John Wheeler's work erases that doubt for me. You, of course, have to draw your own conclusion. So if that's true, that you can even move into the past and make changes, that explains why. Scientists have observed that um, there was a very famous experiment where somebody tried to prove that thoughts cannot influence outcomes by praying for a list of people who'd been in the hospital 10 years previously. 
he had a group of people come together. Sorry, I don't remember this guy's name, but you can probably Google the information and find it if you're curious. He had a group of people pray for certain persons who were in the hospital 10 years ago trying to prove that prayer doesn't change anything. And what happened was that the people who were prayed for by these groups, anonymously prayed for, they didn't know who they were praying for, just you know the symptoms and the person's age and all that, the people who were prayed for got better. And the guy who conducted the experiment didn't realize what he had proven. What he proved was that you can change things in the past. Focused intention doesn't just change the now and the later, the future. It can change the past. I'll give you another example. With long-distance healing, such as energy medicine, what has been shown is that it is more effective if that session is done in the past. In other words, if I go into a long-distance healing session to work on someone and I'm doing it in real time, like it's 4.30 in the morning and I'm doing it at 4.30 in the morning, it is not as effective on the client as if I do it at 5.30 in the morning, go into my remote healing room and set the clock for 4.30 in the morning so that the session affects the person at 4.30, one hour before I did the session. And more, again and again, I've had people say, I felt it at exactly, I woke up, or if I'm doing it at 1 and they're, I'm setting the clock for noon, they feel it at noon, they are affected at the time that I set the clock for in the remote healing room. And studies have shown, we're talking quantum physicists who do this on their own nickel because there's nobody else who's going to pay for it. They've proven that sessions done in the past are more effective. So when you're you're doing a remote healing session, you might want to bear that in mind. If you're curious about this phenomenon, you can learn more about it in the books of um, Lynn McTaggart. She's got three books out that I highly recommend to anybody who's got any interest in metaphysics, spirituality, science, anything like that, and how those all interact, because believe me, they do. This is how I got into metaphysics and spirituality, studying quantum physics, starting in 1979. I just wanted to understand the nature of reality, and I was an agnostic. So that's how I got into it. And as, as I began reading Gary Zukov's book, The Dancing Wu Li Masters, I began having these incredible insights. It, it was paradigm shifting for me, and it, it took me about a year to really get through that book. I'd read a pair, I'd read a chapter and go, "Oh my God, what? That doesn't make any sense at all." I'd wait a month, go back, read it again, and I would have assimilated it and go, oh, "Of course, this makes perfect sense." And I was having these incredible spiritual ahas. So. I would say the modern correlate to that book would be Lynn McTaggart's books, particularly in Read Them in Sequence, The Field, The Intention Experiment, which is all about people coming together, focusing as groups, and creating change by their focused group thoughts. 
It's about much more, but that's one of the main things that it's about. She has a website called The Intention Experiment where you can participate in one of these experiments. And her re- most recent book is The Bond. And it's about how who you hang out with affects you, which may seem incredibly simple, but it goes into real depth with experiments by quantum physicists that will really kind of blow your mind about the effects of other people and their thoughts on your world and your life and your body. I'll give you a good example. I I injured myself a few days ago and, and I was doing a great job of healing it. Hurt, you know, really seriously injured one of my, my big toe. And uh, everything was fine until it told somebody about it who was under the influence of allopathic medicine. And he began carrying on about you need to do this, you need to do that, otherwise it's going to get infected, you don't want your toe to you know, get all infected and have to have surgery and blah, blah, blah. And my toe had been healing just fine. The next morning after that talk, and, and I said, please don't pronounce a curse like that on me. He didn't really know what he was doing. There was no evil intention there. It was just a belief, and he was voicing his belief. The next morning I woke up, and the toe was infected. So I've since gotten it under control, but that's just an illustration of how other people's beliefs can influence you, which it should, I should think, most people would draw the conclusion from that that it's important what you say to other people. Not just what you think, but what you say, because there's power of manifestation in sound particularly your words, which, of course, brings us to the next most logical point of um, to discuss, and that is be real careful, not just who you hang out with and who you talk to about what's important to you, but also be really, really careful who you allow to heal you. Do they have your best interest at heart? Are they more interested in being right than seeing you get better? Also be very, very careful who it is that you allow to do readings for you because when somebody does a reading for you or if you happen to be a reader, it's important to know that whoever's doing the reading is sitting in a position of authority. And the power to plant seeds, I call them seed thoughts, The power to plant seed thoughts, if you're a reader, is absolutely enormous. So it's extremely important because I don't know if you've ever had a reading and you knew that the person didn't really know what they were doing, but they still see something negative or they see something that is not one of the things you want to manifest. And they just tell you it's going to happen. They don't tell you what to do to prevent it. But they plant that seed thought and it's real hard to shake. And in thinking about it again and again, you can bring it about. So the reason I say this is is to remind people to be very careful who you allow to do readings for you. Very few people are allowed to do readings for me. And it is for the very reason that most people don't have this concept, that they are planting seed thoughts that can sprout into someone's reality when they're doing a reading. It's an enormous responsibility to do a reading for someone. 
And if you ever see anything negative in a reading, it is your responsibility to word it in such a way that it's not frightening to that person and that they know what it is they can do to change it. Otherwise, if there's nothing they can do to change it, which is rarely the case, there's no point in their knowing about it. And I wonder even why a person would see that in the cards. So it's very important that you choose your healers and your readers carefully. There are certain ethical considerations for all healers and all readers. And unfortunately, there's not a place where you go to get a license to do energy healing, for example, and there's not a place where you go to get a license to do readings. So we all have to be careful not only who we choose to do these things for us, but how we choose to respond to the people around us, how we choose to speak to them, and that we take care not to plant thoughts of negativity in another person. Because once you realize that you can do that and affect another person's reality, if you can continue to do it, you're not only getting bad karma piled up for yourself, but that's a little bit sadistic if you think about it. Why would you want to hurt another person? At this point, I want to say that there have been a lot of things going on actually a series of things going on, wherein people are predicting dire things that are going to happen to the planet. And and it's all over the Internet, it's all over the social networks. And then when it doesn't happen, I mean like the uh, comet Elenine that was supposed to completely, you know, cause horrible earthquakes and trauma and it passed close to the earth and very few people know this but a solar flare reached out from helios which is the sun and it was zapped it was just melted because comets are mostly ice anyway so this one was nobody talked about it when it didn't happen a lot of people were saying that october what 28th 2011 was the real date instead of December 21st, 2012, and that's when this massive change was going to occur and all, and predicting this, that, and the other happening. Did it happen? No, it did not. That's been almost a month ago. It didn't happen. Is anybody talking about the fact that it didn't happen? No. It seems as though there are a, a series, you know, there were people saying that the oil spill in the Gulf was going to spread to Europe and destroy all the fish in the seas and then everyone was going to die. It's just one thing after, that didn't happen. It's one thing after another. People predicting these dire, horrific things that never materialize. And yet when it doesn't materialize, nobody says a word about it. They just simply pretend they never said it. And nobody calls them on it, I'm calling them on it. So in the future, when you hear people making dire predictions, the sky is falling, the sky is falling, something bad's going to happen on so-and-so date. Remember, they've said that before, even all the way back to Y2K, you know, when we were moving from the 1999 to the 2000, and all those people stockpiled water, and food, 
thinking that all the computers were going to crash and the banks with them, and we were all going to be without food, water, transportation, electricity, and so on, nothing happened. This has been going on long enough that we really ought to be reaching the place where we just go yawn, ho, hum, another dire prediction. And yet people still get all excited about it. When will that end? And why are there people out there, even in the metaphysical community, who continue to contribute to the fear? What's that about? I leave you with that. I'm going to play some music. And I thank you for listening. I do want to remind you that I have a free newsletter. And to sign up for that, you go to hotpinklotus.com. I've been sending out, out for about 12 years. And I'll protect your privacy. I will not share your email address with anyone. I also have a book available on Amazon and Kindle, available on Kindle for $2.99. And you can download Kindle for PC for free to your computer or iPad. And the name of my book is Akashic Records, Case Studies of Past Lives. For 20 years, I did or am still doing past life readings for individuals and I've found that to be such an incredibly healing thing for people that I wanted to share it. I wanted to be sure larger numbers of people understood how knowing about their past lives can heal them in the now, not just psychologically but physically even. And it is a process which heals souls. Again, the name of the book is Akashic Records Case Studies by Lois Wetzel, W-E-T-Z-E-L, available on Amazon and Kindle. Thank you for listening. If you want a past life reading, get in touch with me, Lois at hotpinklotus.com.